0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, If you're a guest or visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, you're joining us as we uh, are in the midst of a series in the book of Romans, uh, Romans chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Romans chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the passage is going to be projected on the screens and there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. Uh, You can follow along there. Um, As we come to Romans 11, uh, we are coming to the end of a, a section in which... Uh, Paul in the book of Romans is uh, taking up the question about Israel. So you remember, uh, if you're with us a number of weeks ago, we came to the end of Romans 8 and we heard this beautiful promise that Paul declared that for all those who are in Christ Jesus, that all those who are trusting in the Lord, that all of those who are resting in the promises of God, that the love of God will never be lifted from them. That we are perfectly secure in Christ, for nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was the beautiful promise at the end of Romans 8. But then that invited a question, right? If God's promises are so sure, if our security is such that we need not fear, then what about Israel? Because they had the promises, right? So had God's promises failed? He takes up that question in Romans 9. The answer was no. Right, last week in Romans 10, Paul continued talking about Israel, right? Why did they stumble? Why did they fall? Why have they not believed, right? And he said that some of the reason why they stumbled was they were seeking a righteousness through their own works. And so they stumbled, they fell. Well, Paul continues now in chapter 11 asking So has God then abandoned Israel? The people of the Old Testament, the people of his promise, has God abandoned Israel? Well, he's answering that question in Romans 11. So let's follow along. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter. Paul writes this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not become arrogant towards the branches." Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel." until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient, in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. O the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, uh, we come to it acknowledging uh, we need your help. Uh, We need your help to understand this long portion, this difficult section of your word. And so we ask that you would be with the speaker and with all those who hear so that uh, our thoughts would be uh, in line with your thoughts and we would understand your ways and that you would turn us to yourself. So we pray that you would be with us. Help us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So a few summers ago, uh, I happened to uh, run into a friend of mine whose name is Pete. That's his real name. I didn't make that up. Uh, uh, I'm not hiding him. He would be happy for me to tell this story. Um, Pete and I uh, ran into each other inadvertently, providentially. Uh, We didn't expect to see one another. And Pete and I have known each other for many years, but it had actually been many years since we had seen one another. We first met one another a number of summers ago. It was actually the summer of 2000. We were both part of a a trip to Myrtle Beach. We spent the summer in Myrtle Beach with 150 other college students involved with the same campus ministry. We went to different schools, but we were spending the summer in Myrtle Beach. And we lived in a hotel, and we worked jobs together, and we studied the Bible, and we prayed, and we went to meetings at night, and, and we went on the beach, and we shared the gospel. And Pete was my room leader. Pete had known Jesus for far longer than I had. I had only been a Christian for roughly about six months at the time. And so he was my room leader. And so it was his job to lead us in Bible study and to pray with us. And and he was actually the first person who ever took me to share my faith with someone. And so there was Pete. We run into each other a couple summers ago, and we start reminiscing. It had been a number of years since I had seen him. And we start reminiscing, we start talking, and we start talking about that summer when we first met. And Pete looks at me, and he goes, Penny, do you know, I, I actually wasn't a Christian then. He said, it wasn't until after the summer that I realized I, I actually didn't really believe the things I was saying. Now, I have to tell you, in the midst of this conversation, it was very disorienting to hear that. Because what did I know of Pete, right? Like, this was a man who who read the Bible with me, who prayed with me, who I witnessed share the gospel with non-Christians, and now he's saying he wasn't a Christian? I thought about what I knew about his story, his life. He had grown up with Christian parents who loved the Lord, who took him to church, where he heard the gospel... He had the right lineage and heritage. He had never known a day where he wasn't in church. And he wasn't a believer? It was very disorienting. It was very disorienting because everything that you would look at at Pete, if you looked at his life, if you listened to his words, if you considered his knowledge, if you looked at his family, you would never question his faith. And yet, he was telling me he didn't actually believe. It's very disorienting. It was very troubling. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you know the disorientation that occurs when you hear this because some of you have Friends or family members who 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 maybe grew up in the church who maybe heard the gospel who maybe once professed with their mouth that they believed and only to turn away We know what this is like So did Paul So did the Apostle Paul? I mean this section that we've been in Romans 9 through 11 We've heard that Israel had heard the promises of God, they had been given the covenants, they had the right lineage, they should have been the ones who believed. And instead, many of them rejected the gospel, and they turned away from the Christ. So what are we to make of this? I mean, what does this say about the Lord, about God? Well, I want us to see that this passage helps us to see that despite what we might see and despite what we might hear and despite what we might experience, that God's faithfulness continues. His faithfulness continues, and we see it because his faithfulness is to the remnant, right? That's what Paul begins with. At first glance, so many of Israel had turned away. They've appeared to reject God. And so Paul asks, Has God rejected his people, right? Has God abandoned his people? And what is the answer? By no means. By no means. Instead of rejecting his people, God has actually kept for himself a remnant. And Paul points to himself, right? We hear him say, I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So you hear what Paul's doing, right? He's saying, no, God hasn't rejected his people because I'm an Israelite. He hasn't abandoned Israel because I'm a child of Abraham, a descendant of uh, a Benjaminite, right? I I am a part of the people of God. But Paul doesn't just point to his own life, he also points to the history of Israel, right? In verses 2 through 5, he reminds us of Elijah. Y'all remember Elijah shows up in the Uh, Book of Kings, right? And there Elijah is the prophet of God. And remember this beautiful scene when he goes up against the prophets of Baal, right? The prophets of Baal, they were uh, Baal worshipers. Baal was a false god. And so Elijah comes against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and he says to them, you know, build your sacrifice. I'll build my sacrifice. We'll pray to our gods and we'll see who shows up. We'll see whose God really is the true God. Right? And Baal worshipers, the Baal prophets, right? They dance, they do all these sorts of things. They pray, they scream, they sing, and nothing happens. And Elijah prays to God, and what happens? A, you know, fire descends from heaven, it consumes the entire sacrifice. It's this beautiful picture that the true God, the one true God, is the God of the Bible, Yahweh, the Lord. And even when Elijah saw all that, do you remember? He looks around and he goes, God, I am alone. He felt like he was the only one left. In fact, Paul quotes Elijah in verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. Elijah looked around at Israel, and he was sure that he was all that was left, that no one else was faithful to God. But what did God say to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. God had preserved a remnant. That's what Paul is telling us. That God's faithfulness is seen in that he has preserved a remnant. He preserved one in the Old Testament. He preserved it with Paul and he continues to do it. Look at verse 5. At the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. You see, Paul's telling us God is faithful. He hasn't abandoned his people. He is faithful to maintain a remnant, and he is faithful to the Gentiles. Not just to a remnant, but to the Gentiles. Now, what's interesting about this passage in Romans 9 is how Paul um, shows us the, the way in which the Gentiles in Israel kind of are, um, are, are uh, depicted against one another, Right? So what we have here is the rejection of the gospel by Israel is the means by which the Gentiles become the focus of gospel ministry. And we actually see this in the life of Paul. So if you're familiar with the book of Acts, um, the book of Acts is the story of the gospel going forth after the Holy Spirit has come, right? And Paul becomes a central figure in this because it follows his missionary journeys. And Paul goes from town to town and place to place. Right, City to city, and when he arrives in these places, he goes to the synagogue. He goes to the Jews and preaches the gospel to them, and some of them believed, but some of them were hostile to his message. He was met with hostility, and so when he was met with hostility at the synagogue, where did he turn? To the Gentiles. Right? He turned to the Gentiles. He went to the non-ethnic Jewish people in the town, and he preached the message of salvation to them. Later, if you'd like, you can look this up. One example is Acts 18, verses 5 through 6. But it's actually throughout the book of Acts that the gospel went to the Gentiles as the Jews were rejecting it. And that's what Paul is speaking about in verses 17 through 24. Right? He uses the metaphor of the root and the branches, right? The picture of the olive tree. It's got strong roots, and some of the branches are, are bearing fruit, but other branches are not bearing fruit, and so they're broken off. And those branches that are broken off are ethnic Israel, who has rejected the gospel. But in its place, what happens? Wild shoots, the Gentiles, are engrafted into the tree. We see it in Verse 17. Some of the branches were broken off, and you, he's speaking to the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So do you hear what Paul's saying? That the Gentiles, the non-ethnic Israelite, is brought in to the people of God. In verse 25, he calls this a mystery. A mystery, a a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, when uh, Paul uses the language of mystery, he does it here in Romans. He also does it in Ephesians. He's not talking about, like, um, we have to, like, do our best Sherlock Sherlock Holmes impersonation and go and, like, see all the clues and find all the different things and and interpret the different events and, and piece it all together for ourselves. It's not that kind of mystery. No, when Paul talks about mystery, what he talks about is something that was hidden, but is now revealed. Not something we figure out, but is shown to us. And what is revealed? That through the hostility of Israel, the message of salvation goes to the Gentiles. That we, you and me, those who profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are grafted into the people of God. Yo, we are the Gentiles. We are part of the nations. We are those who have been brought into the people of God. And this is something that God does to us. Right? I mean, even the image of the... the. Uh, olive ch- shoot the the wild olive shoot being engrafted in right like the wild olive shoot doesn't engraft itself it requires a gardener or an arborist right to to clip it to trim it to to engraft it into the rooted wild uh, olive tree that's something that is done to it and the same is true of us there's nothing that we do to be part of God's people. There is not, it is not about what we have done or what we've believed or what our lineage might be. It is about what God has done. In fact, when talking about the remnant, he said they are chosen by grace. Right? This is what God does to us. In verse 22, he he speaks about God's kindness, right? The kindness and severity of God. Severity to those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. It's God's kindness that draws us into his people. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that he showers upon us. You see, God's salvation, that's what this is talking about. God's salvation, his engrafting us into his people, is by his grace and his grace alone. And so, his kindness and his grace, when we know these things, it means at least two things for us. It's going to mean one, that we have nothing to boast of. Did you see that in verse 18? Do not be arrogant toward the branches. In verse 20, do not become proud right? Paul's envisioning the Gentiles. They've been engrafted in, and they're like, what's up, Israel? You know, you're not God's people anymore, but we are, right? Like, that's what he's envisioning, the Gentiles responding. And what's he saying to them? Don't be arrogant towards them. This had nothing to do with you. Don't become proud, Right, Because when we know it's God's kindness and his grace that brings salvation, pride and arrogance will be the farthest thing from us. Because we know it's God's grace. We know it's his kindness. So we will have nothing to boast of. That's the first thing that his salvation will lead us to. The second thing is we won't presume on his kindness. Look at verse 20. Do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Verse 22, the severity toward those who have fallen, (coughs) excuse me, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. You see, the problem with many in Israel was they presumed that they were going to be recipients of God's kindness. Right? I mean, we're the children of Abraham. That's actually what they said to Jesus. You remember? Remember? In the gospel, some of them came to Jesus and said, we're the children of Abraham. Basically, hey, we've got it covered. God loves us. He's promised he will. We're his people. Of course, we'll have his grace and mercy. But actually, they weren't trusting in Christ. They presumed that their lineage, their heritage, was enough. It would be kind of like... A modern-day person saying well I grew up in the church and I was here every Sunday and I've memorized the shorter catechism and uh, I went to Christian school and and I've I've always been there and so surely God's grace must come to me presuming on his grace You see, those who know his kindness, we don't presume upon his grace. We're not arrogant concerning our engrafting. Instead, we are thankfulness for his faithfulness. We are thankful for his faithfulness to us, to the Gentiles. And not just to us, but his faithfulness to Israel. You see, God hasn't forgotten or abandoned Israel. We see it in verse 26. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. All of Israel will be saved. Okay, what does that mean? All of Israel will be saved. Now, let me just say... um, Uh, there are a lot of different options and there are a lot of different things that we could say about all these different options and we don't have enough time to go over all of them this morning okay so if you have any questions Tobias will be in the narthex you can (laughs) (laughs) just kidding no, we both, uh, we, we'd both we be happy to talk. To, I'd love to talk to you more about it. But let me just go over it very quickly. A few of the different options, okay? A few different options. One is some people see all of Israel as meaning every ethnic Israelite who has ever lived. Basically, it's like universalism for Israel. Okay, that's one option. The second option, a, a second option, is uh, it refers to the church. All Israel refers to the church, both Jew and Gentile together spiritual israel the third option is it's talking about israel as a national or political or physical entity that will be saved so it's talking about israel the nation state not necessarily israel the people okay those are three different options there's a fourth that i'm about to share which is the one that i hold that i think is probably the best one um but but i i will just say that really of those three I just shared, probably two is number two is probably the only one that i I would say has good good credence to it. that maybe this could be talking about uh, the church generally um, and spiritual Israel in that way. But what I actually think is going on here is that Paul is speaking about ethnic Israel, but not every ethnic Jew. So instead, The all is referring to all the elect of Israel. Okay? So he actually uses that language of election a couple times, right? Um, That he's speaking of the elect of Israel. And so Paul is giving us a picture of many within Israel hearing the gospel, repenting, and embracing Jesus that all the elect of ethnic Israel will be saved. You see God's people didn't just used to contain Israel, but will always include those from Israel who believe. And we actually see it in verses 28 through 32. Paul says as regards the gospel there are enemies, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. You see, what Paul is saying is just as the hostility of Israel towards the gospel led to ministry to the Gentiles... God is now using the inclusion of the Gentiles as a way of stirring up jealousy within the hearts of Israel and bringing them back to the Lord. He uses that language of jealousy in our passage, right? But this isn't sinful jealousy, right? This isn't Paul talking about like coveting sort of jealousy, wanting something that doesn't belong to us. What, what this jealousy is more like is like the jealousy of a spouse, right, a husband for his wife or a wife for her husband, right? It's right for a husband or wife to be jealous for the affections of their spouse. It is right for that to happen. And that's what this is more akin to, that as the Jews see the Gentiles embracing God's promises and living as God's people, it will evoke in them a desire to have life in Christ, and in this way, God is calling Israel back into his people. We see it in verse 23. Even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. So you see his faithfulness? You see how he hasn't abandoned Israel, but but God's plan continues. That his faithfulness continues, right? His faithfulness to Israel and his faithfulness to the Gentiles and his faithfulness to the remnant. God's faithfulness is on display. It continues for them and for us. You know, when Pete told me that uh, he never believed, that though we had read the Bible together and though we had prayed together, and though he I witnessed him share the gospel, that he never believed, it, it was incredibly disorienting. Right? He administered God's word to me, and yet he didn't believe. The conversation that took place between um, me and him, him and I, whatever, between Pete and myself, uh, a couple summers ago, it took place um, at our denomination's General Assembly. I was walking down the hall, and there was Pete. And it was in the midst of us walking that he told me this. And and what he also told me is that though he had grown up hearing the promises of God, and though he had professed with his mouth, and though he had actually not believed, God's faithfulness continued. Because Pete was drawn back and is a pastor now. This one who had rejected the gospel has been brought into the people of God and is now a minister of that gospel. You see, God extended kindness to Pete. His faithfulness was stronger than Pete's faithlessness. This one who hadn't believed now does because of God's grace and kindness to him. Now listen, does that mean that every single person, whoever hears the promises of God, whoever reads the Bible, whoever steps foot in a church, will ultimately believe? Well, no. And we can have hope. And we can have confidence that God is faithful to his plan. That w- We may not know how God is at work, and we may not know how his kindness will be extended to certain people, and we don't know who his grace will fall upon, but what we do know is that he is faithful. We can have confidence that God's faithfulness continues. It was showered upon the remnant and it was given to the Gentiles and it is being given to Israel. His faithfulness continues and it will continue to all for whom his kindness falls upon. So friends, let us not doubt, let us not turn aside, but instead let us have confidence and hope that God's faithfulness will continue. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, your kindness and your love. And we ask as recipients of that kindness that you would lead us in your grace. Make us ambassadors for your kingdom. Let us live before others so that they would see your grace and kindness at work and they would be drawn unto you. Father, make us not boastful or proud, but make us thankful and confident And hopeful in your faithfulness at work. We ask that you would work and move in our midst. And even now as we continue to worship you. We pray this in Christ's name and God's people said together. Amen.